Hey, Steven. What's going on? It's the first episode. That it is. I cannot believe <laughs> that it is here. <laughs> Holy I mean, shit. We made it. I know. I know. I'm so proud of us just for getting here to this place. Yeah. Oh my god. There's been so much planning <laughs> and so much. But it's really amazing how this is manifested just from one shared Google Doc of putting down ideas to now a whole ass recording for an episode. Exactly. It's like a it's like a whole like pregnancy cycle like sped up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone. Welcome to the Licorice Chicks podcast hosted by Oscar and Steven. Hey! <laughs> it's lit. It's so lit. lit. All right. Um, <laughs> how about, so Steven, who are you? Tell the audience, tell the folks who you are in short. Uh, sure. So my name is Steven. I'm a native New Yorker, born and raised, second generation New Yorker, actually. Um, I am of African-American, Afro-Latinx, specifically by way of Puerto Rico and Tanzanian descent. Um, first generation through my mom because her, well, second generation through my mom because her parents came here and she was born in New York and then my dad immigrated here. So he was like a first generation immigrant um, from the Lower East Side of Manhattan. I was raised between there and Queens both my parents. I graduated in 2017 with an associates in liberal arts from Oslo's Community College in the Bronx, followed by a BA in sociology and Africana and Puerto Rican Latino studies from Hunter College. Currently working in HIV prevention and I am wrapping up my prerequisites for nursing school. Also, I am queer, specifically bisexual. So yeah, that's me. Period. Did you read from your bio or was that like just you? That was from my bio. <laughs> yeah, have to have me pull up <laughs> my own bio. Um, perfect, it's already open. All right, well, it's good to have you here, as you will always be, Stephen. Um, so I guess I shall also read <laughs> off my bio. So, shall. Um, hi, my name is Oscar. I was born in... Uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, specifically Carolina, and I'm of Dominican descent um, on my father's side. So I'm technically first generation, I say that in air quotes, moving from the island to settle um, in a small town in upstate New York called Ellenville. Well, actually, it's not even a town, it's called, it's a village. Um, and I moved there in 2001 with the maternal side of my family. And over the next subsequent decade or so, the rest of my uh maternal side of the family from Puerto Rico moved with us. And in 2015, I moved to New York City um, to attend uh, City University of New York Hunter College. A. <laughs> um, and in 2019, I graduated Hunter College with a BA in philosophy. Um, and I now attend a doctoral program in Johns Hopkins University's Department of Philosophy. And there I research black queer knowledge production and imagination. Um, my work mainly centers the ways Black queer folks reach for freedom and how we generate relationships, moral values, and intentional healing. And that is by way of studying um, folks not traditionally seen as philosophers, such as Audre Lorde, um, James Baldwin, Pat Parker, etc. Um, and this podcast will hopefully be um, also an extension of that. So I'm happy to be here. A, 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 A. Perfect. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. And the topic for our first episode, because we're jumping right into it, <laughs> is going to be queer intimacies. Um, oh, yeah, wait, I forgot to say it, too. I also identify as queer, um, bisexual, uh, and non-binary, actually. Pronouns are he, they. Gotcha. Uh, you just, like, put that out of my radar. I'm also, I'm cis male. I identify as a cis male, and my pronouns are he, him. Beautiful. So, <laughs> our first uh, topic for the podcast is called Queer Intimacies. Though, also in parentheses, there's also Black <laughs> as the qualifier for it. Um, yes. Because we're not talking about Love, Simon, <laughs> or like Jonathan Groff in Looking. Um, we're <laughs> definitely talking about the niggas. <laughs> we're definitely talking about the girls. Um, talking about the poppies. The niggas. <laughs> the niggas, essentially. <laughs> Ends now. Um, period. Yeah, so I know last time, or last time, this is the first time, uh, we wanted to start out with asking what is queer intimacy to you, but I actually want to start with kind of breaking down the specific words queer and intimacy, just real quick, um, just so that there's no confusion. Um, if it's okay, can you do queer mm -hmm. and I'll do in intimacy? Sure, I'll like I'll try like the best of my ability. Yeah, just just to you. <clears throat> I mean, to me, queer is obviously not heterosexual. So, queer is basically anything within the LGBTQ spectrum, within the with basically no one who anyone who isn't heterosexual doesn't identify as heterosexual. Um, essentially, just queer. Um, either you can identify as queer straight out. You can identify as gay, as lesbian. You can identify as bisexual, and I could you you can even say even as a trans person, you don't have to be cis. You can identify as queer as well. So, queer is an umbrella term for anyone who isn't heterosexual. So that's like my interpretation of it. Word. I think that's a really good starting point. Um, though, <laughs> through the course oh. of this episode, I'm definitely going to trouble some of that notion. <laughs> Go right ahead. Uh, Go right ahead. Yeah, but um, for intimacy, obviously, it's such a broad term. Um, I definitely just Googled the definition, and <laughs> there was... Oh, my gosh. Um, but I, I found one that was, like, good. There was one that was, like, um, affecting the human soul, and <laughs> I feel that's pretty apt... Um, and at least how we're going to take the conversation and tying intimacy to sexuality and even spir right. uh, spirituality. Um, yeah. Like I know in our conversations, we usually bound up spirituality and religion, but obviously that's for another topic. But um, there is a strong um, aspect of spirituality within intimacy, um, definitely. Like if you don't feel the connectedness that you do um, in sharing intimate moments with anyone, may that be, you know, holding right. hands, sharing um, space. It doesn't have to be um, romantic and completely platonic. Um, right. I feel like anyone can share intimacy. Um, and I, I think everyone every day shares intimacy, um, either physically or online, honestly. Right, and I have to add, like, intimacy does not have to be sexual exactly. or straight up sexual, so yeah. yeah. There's that. Could be emotional, could be mental, psychological, could be everything 
outside from sexual as well. So the various fronts for intimacy, in my opinion. Right. So um, now that we have that out of the way, how about I ask you, when did you first encounter something that can be categorized under queer intimacy? Which I guess is asking the original question, <laughs> what is queer intimacy to you? Okay, so I'll just I'll do queer I'll just do queer intimacy to me, then I'll go right into my first experience with it. Yeah. My also queer queer intimacy to me is basically just closeness or any type of like, you know, comfortability, openness, and vulnerability with someone else who was queer, whether it be a platonic friendship or relationship, like any type of sexual relationship, fuck buddies, friends, benefits, um, confidants, any of that. And just sharing those moments with them and just like being open, just like opening yourself up to them and actually just from just like uniting as one or just familiarizing yourself with each other. So I think that's what it is. My first experience with it. <clears throat> Damn, I, I would just want to think back to like my whole phase in like 2018, <laughs> summer 18, basically just, you know, hot in the pants. Um, talking up with guys, but after that, you know, just link up with them, talking with them, chatting with them, you know, cuddles, kisses, all that. I think that was like my first, like, to me, my first like exposure like to queer intimacy that I would consider. Um, like, I think that was like the most vulnerable to me. So mm. that's like, that's my part of it at least. Mm -hmm. I see. Uh, I, I really love that answer because you tied it immediately to vulnerability. Um, and I feel like when we're discussing like sexual intimacy, at least, um, yeah, a lot of vulnerability talk isn't there, <laughs> actually. Um, I feel like there's definitely a thing in our community where there is an exclusion of vulnerability um, because it is very intimate. Um, but which part of our community, though? Are you talking about like the black? After that, next community, or no, definitely not say this is not saying this is for the niggas. <laughs> when I say us, I'm, I'm pulling specifically referring. I, to, I just had to, I had to pull that. I just, I just, I just wanted to fuck with you. Of course, it's for the niggas, hands down. Girl, hands when down. I say us, I mean negros, <laughs> negrax, 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 like everybody, hands down. Period. Um, and if you can relate, good for you, but it's not for you. And that's just it. So, um, so yeah, that, that's what I mean. But I, I really love your answer. So, hmm. so my first feeling of intimacy actually is bound up with uh, having like feeling of belonging and like that feeling of like joy and power that you feel when you have connected with someone. And for me, that's actually when I was first spending time uh, with, well, not first spending time, but in the first few, in the first decade or so when my family had moved to the U.S., um, we had a lot of family barbecues on Sunday, specifically after church. And we're going to come, come back around to, to the church part. But it was during those family barbecues when everyone was laughing and just sharing food and jokes and, you know, playing games and everything like um, Kill the Carrier or Manhunt, you know, all that. It was like that for me was intimate and 
qua me being queer, but also me thinking of queer as, yeah, it definitely involves um, not being heterosexual, identifying as queer, etc. But also I think it involves too expressing um, or embodying kinds of values and affections for others who aren't kind of centrally seen to be um, receiving or on the uh, or like seen as worthy of receiving that like for example I feel like when I love on my family my family loves on me in a very just like loving way I see that as queer intimacy because it diverges from like representations that you we usually get in media um, of you know like Latinx families loving each other, like black Latinx men, like laughing and like, you know, playing dominoes and like just the sounds and the various sonics that like are revolved around those events. So that for me was my first feeling of queer intimacy. And my other time, my second time I would say was when I um, had like a group of queer friends in like high school and then in college, that same sense of belonging, but it, it it had evolved, of course, differently. So basically more of like a familial and communal definition. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, like it, you're just like, it's a lot. It's, you just like, like broaden it. So yeah, that's that's mm. pretty good. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Mm. And I say that too, because, you know, during that time, you know, I was really young. I, yeah, I just saw it as like, oh, okay, this is just how we are. <laughs> just as a family, we're always going to be laughing. Or, well, we are laughing in this moment. We are loving each other in this moment. <laughs> you know, that's exactly. all that matters. Um, and then once I was able to see that again in different registers, I feel like that was still a continuation of like, oh, okay, you know, that intimacy is still a part of me and my queer identity. So, yeah. Um. I want to ask you though, because you said it it first emerged for you in in twenty eighteen queer intimacy, and so I want to ask you about representational intimacy. Okay. So we know you know things like Moonlight came out twenty sixteen, Nas and Malik, uh, twenty fifteen, Styling Hollywood. When was that? Twenty nineteen. It dropped on Netflix. I think so. Right. And like those for me are really beautiful examples of black men, black folk ex- really expressing beautiful um, amounts of intimacy or at least ones that weren't around when, you know, we were growing up. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you, like, does representational intimacy fall into the <clears throat> sphere of queer intimacy for you? And if so, um what is one example that you feel like embodies that that's a good question because i've never really considered or thought about or thought of rather um representational intimacy is like a form of intimacy when it like i just never really thought about it it never really crossed my mind so like this is the first time like it's being presented to me um so your question is like do i consider it um i would say so um basically especially when when you're talking about in the lgbtq community you have it's like you don't really have a lot you don't really see a lot of poc representation specifically black 
and this is like strictly just white white passing so it's very important to have that you know that representation of black people and i'm not only talking about you know the token of course um just having that community with other black or latinx or even afro latinx people it's very important yeah it's intimacy because you're you're finding people you who look like you and you're even like trying to relate to them and try to like create a little community with community within that. So yeah, I would consider it a form of intimacy in my in my in my thing. Like, you know, going out for drinks, hanging out with the girls, you know, just just participating in things that 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 are just very connected to blackness or Latinidad. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Latinidad. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, my follow-up question. Think? My well, <laughs> first the follow-up question. What does it do for you, representational intimacy? Like specifically, like I would say, it just puts me at ease. Like just being able to, you know, just have like that that person or those people you can just like talk to and just like be close to and actually just like build a bond with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Let it be this, whether it be platonic or, or what have you. Because um, I know for me, like, my little thing representational was more like through Tumblr mm-hmm. as, I, as it came out. And then as I got older or more like integrated and, and more like privy to the scene here in New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, happy apps, of course, but then also, like meeting meeting friends of friends who are black and or for Latinx, and just like you know building bonds with them and being closer to them, mm-hmm. and just like having having those people you can hang out with and you know just kiki with and text and all that, just like you know gossip, do all that shit, like to have that 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 boundness so like that. That unity right there, you are like mm, like that. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, yeah, for me, representational intimacy, I kind of have to go through my under own my own understanding of it. So, it first, I'll I'll say what it does for me. So when I first saw queer intimacy be represented. Obviously, it was oversaturated with, like, white, cis, gays um, doing what they do (laughs) on TV. Um, And... (sighs) Listen, I think at first that did some kind of thing for me. But, again, like you said, not seeing myself represented still left a void. I was like, "Mm, yeah, they're queer, they're expressing themselves, but, like, like, for example, like, I don't see my family. Like, you know, I, I don't see that familial communal love that I saw, that I felt um, when I was spending time with my family. So when things like Moonlight or Nazim Malik or sound like Hollywood hit, um, those, yeah, someone to you, they put me at ease for sure. Cause they told, they, that showed me, I'm like, oh my gosh, wow, okay. A 12, 13 year old, like black, or black Latinx kid is going to see this and feel like they're being represented, and that's really beautiful. Um, and also for me, I was like, "Fucking finally, <laughs> some 
really affectionate loving is going on without there being like some tragic ending um or even unrequited love etc um although you know moonlight and nazma league did have not those kinds of ending i'm not gonna spoil um but just to see even the process that them struggle or fi- not struggle them you know find their little corners to love in or like you know steal like the hand holdings on the train or stuff like that um you know what this reminds me of yeah um one noah's ark but then two yes. i don't know if you ever read the book but um julito by charles rice gonzalez who is he's afro-latinx he's african-american and puerto rican he actually met him like at Oslo a couple years ago mm. um there were like these two puerto rican boys one i think is afro-puerto rican or he's depicted as afro-puerto rican and the other one's like a white puerto rican and they're from the bronx and they become friends <clears throat> But they kind of grow apart after the after Chulito's friend or partner comes out as gay. He goes to college. He goes away, but they reconnect soon after, and they like they basically form a relationship, and then they have to try to hide it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, there's so many hurdles throughout the relationship as it as it progresses. Like the hand holding on the train on the way up on the six train up from Manhattan. Once you hit 125th or 138th Street in the Bronx. They don't. They just. They separate themselves, mm-hmm. or just like don't show the intimacy, just out of fear of someone seeing. So like that's what it reminds me of when you talk about that or Noah's Ark with Noah, and then like, also having that representation, the friends, and everybody, and like the friends being all black, Afro Latino and non Black Latino. That like Latinx. It just makes a lot. It just. I think those are two main states for representational. For the representational aspect. Mm-hmm. No, so, yeah. No, thank you for bringing those up. I haven't. I'm. I had been meaning to see Noah's Ark <laughs> for years now, um, and I still haven't gotten to it. And I haven't read that novel. It, it was a novel you said, right? Yeah, Chulito. Chulito. I love it. I I read it like when I was like nineteen, twenty years old. It was really good. I love it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Oh. I'm still waiting for that movie though, and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. for real. <laughs> well, I I love that those two had were like really big um, pieces of media for you. Yeah, and then I think even though they're not black or they're not like typically just like they're people of color, um, Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe by uh, by Benjamin Ali de Science. It follows two Mexican American teenage boys who depict, who basically do become friends and then eventually they become partners. And it's it's very similar to Cholito in a way, like the 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 attraction of it. But except there is you see a little you see machismo depicted in Cholito, whereas it's not really it's there, but it's a little less. It's a little subtle. I mean, they're both subtle. They're equally subtle in, in both books. Mm. But, like, the depictions are a little different. Yeah. Like, it's it's, sh- it's shown more in one than it is in the other. Got you. Girl, I didn't know this was about to be a book club. <laughs> I had to drop I had to drop some. I had to drop some. You heard? No, like, no, no. For real. <laughs> no, no. You're so right. And thank you for dropping them. Because, shit, I'm about to order those now and read it. <laughs> I'm starving for black queer fiction, honey. Like, 
um, edges for like uh, Latinx fiction. But so that's really interesting because now it kind of points to a connection that I didn't even know was made with these three selections that I made between Moonlight, Nazar Malik, and Styling Hollywood. Because in Moonlight and Nazar Malik, obviously they have to keep their love and intimacy even hidden altogether from everyone. Like it has to be hidden, you know, in Moonlight on the beach or catching stairs, Nazar Malik on the train when they're not in their neighborhood. Um, whereas in Styling Hollywood though, it's, that's the whole premise of the show. Like open, openly black gay love. Um, well, you know, while no, the whole show obviously is about you know their business and everything, but that's the one thing that really I loved about it is like, whoa, they don't have to hide. You know, like they're married. Like that's already like a part of it. Um, no, I mean it's kind of like the same thing in Cholito. They had to hide theirs until it was discovered. Um, that's one. Benjamin and Benjamin Alida Sanchez, science, I'm science, uh, Aristotle and Dante. It's not so much hidden, but like, I mean, it's somewhat hidden, but then it is discovered. And then later it's, it's, it's little, it's more accepted, mm. but I don't want to give too much away from the book. For the book, no, yeah, but yeah, totally. you see the parallels. You do see the parallels. Noah's Ark. It is hidden between Noah and his and his man, but like as you, if you've seen if you've seen the show, you've seen the show. Oscar, you clearly have to watch it, so I'm not gonna put too much out there. I know, I'm talking. <laughs> but for the girls who have seen it, they really appreciate you speaking. Oh yeah, it. absolutely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You were saying. Well, now I'm thinking. Because <laughs> now I'm thinking of tying it back to spirituality. Mm. Because, okay, you know, putting aside Silent Hollywood for a second, because that show in itself isn't doing as much as I'm trying to chalk it up to be. It is a really important show, I love it a lot. But again, it's kind of showing this future that not a lot of folks in our community even strive for, you know, like being married, having the husband, having the dog, having the house, like da 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 da. The heteronormative um, stuff, basically. Exactly, like that's one thing I would probably critique about the show is that it does very much show a heteronormative kind of future that is kind of like oh my god they made it like this is it when in reality that's not what everyone wants like that's not a future that you know folks drive for right but now i'm thinking of you know what is the spiritual kind of harm that comes from having to hide such a fundamental aspect of just your humanity of literally showing intimacy for one for the person you love um or even the person you don't love even wanting like having to hide the horniness you feel for the person you just met on the train or like the someone you're texting really hornily to meet up for a hookup like well that's putting putting that to the side i guess the main question is now i'm thinking through like what has been the spiritual harm of one having that intimacy being represented to us that kind of um, spiritual damage is a part of the experience of being 
black, Latinx, lean queer, and I guess how fucked up that is. <laughs> but two, it really shows too how this the world we live in is very bent on diminishing, <clears throat> suppressing our entire like spiritual selves. Well, I mean, to answer that question, we we have to go back to like how black and Latinx, black and Latinx, and also Afro Latinx because of intersections, intersectionality, of course. Um, we've been taught to not show emotion to really repress that, that we can't openly love each other as people of color, especially black, specifically black men in these spaces. We are not permitted to do that. If we are, then we're subjected to some type of harm. And we show that we have to hide that in order for us to be, in order for us for, to survive, basically. And if we do, like we're just we're be, we're just we're just basically being conditioned to think that we have to hide this. We we can't it can't be open. Mm-hmm. And like that's something. That's what I. That's my takeaway from that. Mm. So what you said just said too makes me realize. Okay. Moonlight, Nazimalik, these are really beautiful stories, but ultimately they're stories about survival. Yes. And exactly premised on exactly what you just said, reiterating the masculine norms that have to be embodied as Afro-Latinx, Afro-American queers um, in... Yeah, just having to hide ourselves, but also having to incorporate the masculinity that has been passed down from our cultures or just various lives. And then showing styling Hollywood as like the example of thriving. And I'm like, there's something wrong with that or something skewed with it. But uh-huh. yeah, but but anyway, this representational intimacy kind of went <laughs> on a whole track. Um, uh, unless did you want to say something more on it? No, nah, I don't really have like anything else to say i think i pretty much like my piece on it yeah well i'm still thinking through but so i wanted to return to oh the stuff about the well kind of got still keeping up still in the realm of spirituality um because you know spirituality is bound up in religion um especially in our backgrounds you know like i grew up pentecostal um what did you grow up steven uh both my parents were different religions my mom was my mom actually grew up catholic but then she converted to non-denominational christianity and my dad was muslim specifically of the ibadi sect which is of which is a sect of islam which is more common in like north africa and parts of east africa so parts of like north africa the middle east and east africa so it's not sunni it's not shia it's its own different school of islam um, I grew up under with my I grew up with both parents, but I grew up under like my mom's like non-denominational approach. So just like <sighs> um, going to church every Sunday, <clears throat> doing the purity pledge, the, the whole thing with fucking purity culture. Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> which I for one did not take seriously at all. Mm-hmm. So I just like I just did not want the ring. Like I'm still gonna. I'm still gonna like watch porn and do all that shit. I, I'm not. I'm <laughs> not invested in. I'm not invested in the purity pledge from like the age of thirteen on. Like I, I'm like, this is. I'm clearly against it. Uh-huh. 
Um, I wasn't baptized either, so like I'm just like with me, I'm just a whole agnostic dude now. So like once, well, at the age of fifteen, I just really. 14, 15, I really just identified more with agnosticism. Mm. And, like, my mom was, like, really trying to get me to adhere to Christianity. It was like, bro, <laughs> I don't consider myself a, myself a Christian because, I mean, even though it didn't come out to the age of 19, I mean, my queerness is somewhat visible still, even though I had to try to, I had to, try to mask it in past, which is some events I did. Um... But like having been called a faggot by like other by other kids my age, being told that <laughs> that like homosexuality is a sin and that like like that whole thing which we'll get to at a later time mm-hmm. would just like really just turn me off from Christianity because I knew of course at some point especially my adolescence that yeah totally different mm. totally different. Like, I didn't really align with, like, heteronorms, even though I was trying to pass as one, but that was more a means of survival. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just, I just knew that I just really did not fuck with Christianity like that. And, like, even though I do carry some remnants of my upbringing as a non-denominational Christian, yes, I do. Uh, I don't identify as one. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's my thing. That's really interesting. Um just to hear the progression of your relationship with religion or the different types of religions that you grew up with and surrounded by. I feel like in being Pentecostal, I, my whole family, well, starting with my grandma and then with the rest of my family, um, got really religious once they moved here specifically. Um, and you know, we'd go to church every Sunday, uh, we right. have like two pews, like literally just dedicated to my two to three pews because there was so many of us, like literally half one side of the church was just us and the other side was everybody else. Um, <coughs> no, that's literally how we were rolling out. Like, um, and I remember being baptized, I wasn't baptized until I was 14, but funny, funnily enough, the minute I was risen from the water of being baptized, I had realized that I didn't really fuck with the institutional church anymore. I was like, y'all are, yes, y'all are very corrupt, (laughs) and y'all are very two faced. Um, and And that is on period, right? And none of the shit y'all are saying about queer people makes any goddamn sense. Um, but that's still to say though that the church and we got stories. We definitely got stories. (laughs) But I still definitely say that the church and honestly aspects of grace itself were defining to my identity. So they are importantly a part of, you know, my own sexuality. At least they were at the time. Like, you know, again, church for me was family. Church for me was sharing that communal space. Yes. Um, but also like devoting myself not devoting myself. Ugh, I'm gonna get to be religiously in a sec. I was about to say devoting myself to God, um, but like really being immersed with like prayer and praise and seeing, um, you know, the miracles that would be worked through my family, the testimonials that would be given, um, and honestly, it's it was more hearing the narratives and stories of people who have been through shit and were able to find their ways through religion that you know no matter what people say about you know christianity and its whole (sighs) global kind of reign of terror um it 
still does something. It does something for people that can't be denied. And so in my own experiences, you know, of feelings of grace or saved or just, you know, when you're when you put it those moments where you give it all to god in a sense um we're still very euphoric like they're very intimate like i know in those moments when i would be with like youth groups and stuff um or like a part of youth group like i would feel a sense of like holy shit we're all a part of something really really beyond this physical earth um but again grata that (laughs) but uh i still very much keep though a large part of you know what I learned into my own practices like honestly even coming to terms with the fact that I'm not cis was a aspect of my spiritual awakening in a, in a sense so yeah I mean like it just opened a lot of doors basically yeah potentially which is not to say you know these things can't be experienced by someone who didn't grow up um, Christian or Pentecostal even it's just, you know, I've seen some shit. <laughs> so I'm like, mm, I can't not believe in something, <laughs> you know. True facts. Yeah. So thank you for all for listening uh, to our first episode. Thank you all for being here. Our So this podcast is executive produced by Oscar and Steven. Mm-hmm. We're not going to give our last names now. <laughs> Um, eventually um also like executive produced promoted also just also the intro and outro music is also produced by oscar or oski the video editing by me the video editing by oscar as well (laughs) mixing and mastering by me by oscar so yeah yeah it's just us doing the two of us right so yes, you got to meet the licorice chicks, yes. which is ironic because we don't like licorice, but tea. I don't really like. Lic- I mean, I don't like black licorice. I don't like licorice. Period. Oh, why the fuck but... did we choose the name? <laughs> because it was a play. Oh, remember, I got oh, it yeah, from yeah, 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 yeah. from the Azalea Banks song "Licorice Chicks." Licorice bitch. Exactly. So I just felt it fit. I thought it did play on words though, because when I hear licorice chicks and I, I think about it, I think, oh, it's like black licorice, like we're black licorice chicks. Ex- that too. Okay. Cool. Period. That there you go. Right. So thank you all for listening. Yes. We will have, we'll be coming back with, with the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Licorice Chicks Podcast, L-I-Q-O-R-I-C-E-C-H-I-X-P-O-D-C-A-S-C, Licorice Chicks Podcast. Same username on Twitter as well. Yes. Thank you guys so much. Shout out to everybody. We had fun. It was all the way amazing. Shout out to MC Debra. Shout out to MC Debra. Shout out, shout out to everyone. Well, actually, Twitter is L, the letter L, C H I X podcast. So, everybody, stay up. Fuck with your boys or your your folks, your chicks, your chicks. Fuck with your chicks. And, and we out. Yeah. Boom. <laughs>